17 minutes it is before 8 p.m. You tuned into Metro FM Talk uh, with me, Ayabong Akawa. We now we'll wrap up uh, the top business stories at the start of this new week. Joining me to do this is uh, an investment analyst and market commentator and a chartered accountant, Snesipo Maninjwa. Snesipo? Hey, Ayabong. Hey, how are you? I'm good in you. I'm very well, thanks, Snesipo. And uh, thank you so much for taking time out uh, to speak to us at the start of uh, this uh, new week. And uh, I want us to start off... Uh, I guess there with uh, the passing of uh, a consummate, as I said, investment professional and a philanthropist par excellence, uh, Alan Gray. And Mshagaz was a Mondi passing away here uh, over the last 24 hours at the age of 81, all the way out in Bermuda. So I'm very touched. As you know, I'm, an, I'm a recipient of his philanthropy mm. as a Alan Gray Orbit Foundation mm. Fellowship mm. holder. So for me, it was a very, very sad occasion because for me the man had faith in me when I don't even think I realized what faith I had in myself. Mm-hmm. Think about it. I had a bursary scholarship at the age of eighteen. The requirements were just pass. You don't have to work for us. You all you'll have to do is be great and create jobs. Mm-hmm. And when I think of his legacy and I just think of the people that have come out from the Foundation Fellowship. I think some of them you know, Bradley Waltrus, co-founder of Yoko, Suzine Gambula, CEO of Nafasi Water. Mm, mm. You've got Siad Kouza, the guy founded that other moon. Planet, Tato. You've got the, former, the current head of strategy for Vitality Group, Cesar Kumbalo. You've got so many people, of course myself included, <laughs> that he just, Black children, he gave us hope. Regardless of the ethics of being a billionaire, the man mm. literally changed the trajectory of my life. I would not be on the phone with you. I would not even be in Johannesburg. I would not even be a CA if it wasn't for him. Mm. So, wow. Testimony, the man did well. If, we just, if you just think of the impact, and these are the few names I'm mentioning now, the fact that there were four fellowship holders in this year's Mail and Guardian, Made and Guardian list from Tato, who does agriculture, other Tato, head of strategy, life healthcare, current head of business development at Uber. You've got Kente, head of so many heads. Mm-hmm. And we're all in our, we're young professionals under the age of 30. Just to give you an index, how much of an impact he has. So he didn't just help us pay for our schooling. He connected us with the social and network capital, social, financial, and the network to be a success in wow. this world. Awesome, Stensipo. And uh, I guess, you know, many people uh, would reflect on, I guess, the impact that uh, that will continue to have. I mean, that foundation launched in 2005 and already within the space of uh, under 15 years, uh, uh, you're already, I guess, listing off uh, the names of uh, uh, some fascinating South Africans who have not only contributed uh, to uh, uh, the entrepreneurship landscape in South Africa, but have really, I guess, pushed the envelope in uh, the different areas of expertise. So uh, certainly somebody, as the Alan Gray statement said, who has really earned his rest. Definitely. This founder of OG Blessedness, the original. <laughs> <laughs> the OG Blessedness. <laughs> that being said, um, I want us maybe to, to shift our attention away uh, from uh, the life and uh, the work of Alan Gray, and uh, whose life we certainly celebrate. And uh, we say uh, to his family, Nanga Ningalala Ngangaba, Asalomital. Uh, seeming to now, uh, I guess, uh, close or place under care and maintenance 
uh, the Saldana operations. And uh, a lot of this is necessarily having to do, I guess, uh, with the context of the steel sector at the moment, uh, depressed prices and, uh, I guess, on the input side, uh, seeing uh, some uh, cost pressures here that have uh, led them to this particular decision. But one would think that there's uh, potentially more to this. As far as, I mean, is literally um, their own makings. It's a series of own, um, own goals. Because remember, they virtually operated a monopoly. Mm-hmm. And they got caught sleeping with the cheap imports. And DTR didn't react fast enough to protect the steel industry. The thing about trade, when people, when we talk about trade liberalization, when you open up your markets, you best be ready for competition. And that's what happened. Cheap imports have flooded the market, mm. undercutting Aslan Metal, rising costs. Specifically, remember for steel manufacturing, one of the biggest cost components is electricity. And if you look at the ESCOM curve, ESCOM curve looking from where it is for the past five, six years. So you've got depressed prices, but your input costs are growing, and they're growing at a very faster rate than you're able to uh, offload to the consumer. So it, it was one of those things where it was just a matter of time. And in steel, if you look at the business model of steel, the business model of steel, which is where Oslo is, is in steel trading, where the value is in, is in fabrication and beneficiation within steel. And unfortunately, Oslo, when times were good, did not invest. Mm, mm. And and I guess, you know, this is the issue, right? Uh, you know, I was suggesting to someone that there's some instructive lessons here of how not to do a privatization, uh, if indeed, you know, that's the uh, 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 chosen path. Uh, and a lot of lessons here for how, you know, uh, ArcelorMittal going into private hands effectively, uh, I guess, attacked or uh, made difficult the challenges of competitiveness for many of the downstream mills who are reliant on them for their steel supply. Yes, because remember, what was the, what was, what was, what happened? I still say that privatization was the worst mistake. <laughs> worst, worst, worst mistake. Because now, if you privatize, you're privatizing a big measure that the management of Oslo Metal was return on equity, return on assets. So if you're not investing in assets, you're keeping your assets low, mm. but your revenue is not really marginally growing, but your returns aesthetically are looking like they're growing. So you've got those layers as well. You haven't invested. Remember, the only, one of the only reasons why they did, Metal was been one of the least empowered companies up until three years ago when they did the BE transaction. But even still, they, there's no value in it because the deal, even if you look at where the deal structure is, it's basically underwater because the share price has been depressed, the steel market has been depressed. The effect of the tariff has had no Remember, they increased the input tariffs mm. against specifically Chinese have had no effect because they're so uncompetitive on price. Mm, mm, mm. And so, then we still have to pay import parity prices uh, for the same yes. steel that uh, is uncompetitive in this context, even with state support. Even with state support. And even remember, this should have, this should have been like, remember when uh, Highfield Steel folded? Yes, 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 yes. Everett Steel folded. Mm, 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 these, mm. Are, these are all telltale signs. So they, it was coming. It was coming, and I don't see, unless there's a straight, this is one of the issues is that a lot of people, so I'm a fan of privatization when it's non-core, but when it's a strategic asset that requires strategic government support and strategic, you should not privatize. What ends up happening Mm. is that you end up, you, you, you end up using, you're losing control of a sector that creates a lot of jobs, not just on the downstream but as well as then the upstream the entire value chain mm. just think of what's going mm. to happen 
what is the area that Saldana Bay? How many people, yeah. how many suppliers are reliant on Oslo? Mm. And even, I mean, if you think upstream, uh, what then happens to many of the iron ore orders that uh, they would have taken from many of uh, the mines there in the Northern Cape and in other areas? I mean, I think of uh, the Sishan operations in particular. But Sinesipo, let's pause there for a second. We'll continue with uh, our analysis there uh, of uh, uh, Asilo Metal and uh, their decision to place their Saldana operations under care and maintenance. We have been told that uh, most of uh, the uh, uh, production there that was happening there will be shifted to the Funder Bale Park works. But uh, the big question is, what impact has Sinesipo already uh, alerted us to what impact is this going to have on the economy of uh, that area there uh, in Saldana? We'll continue with the business wrap on the other side of this brief break. Seven minutes it is before 8 p.m. and uh, we're still wrapping up our top business stories of the day. And just as we try and I guess close our analysis here on uh, the Asilo Metal story, um, I mean, if uh, you had one or two lessons, I guess, which are instructed from this particular experience, uh, about how you undertake a privatization so that you don't have to end up in the end still providing state support to uh, assets that uh, you've, uh, I guess, offloaded, if I can use that term. Uh, what would that lesson be? Number one, I retain control because one of the issues of Metal, Metal basically sets the benchmark price for steel in the entire country. Steel, because everyone needs to buy from them. Mm. That's part of the reason why everyone is uncompetitive to begin with. So when you lose, you, 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 from privatization, you also need to retain state control. I'm a big believer in part privatization, i.e., like how Telcom yeah, is up. More like a partial one there in the case of Telcom, I guess. Yeah, partial, yeah, yeah. where you still retain some level of control. Mm. But essentially, you sort of, you, your ultimate mandate is to serve the needs of the country, not necessarily the full stakeholder sure, sure. management, not necessarily just the ultimate shareholder benefit. Okay. So let's shift our attention to another SOE here, and uh, that is uh, state-owned rail and uh, port utility, Transnet. Uh, they uh, came out today delivering, uh, I guess, uh, uh, a good set of interim results. Uh, and uh, let's talk about uh, that performance, and we'll come back to the issue of uh, the debt that they're carrying and uh, I guess some of the uh, deliberations they are having with some of the accreditors. Uh, but uh, interim revenue up 2.9% and uh, operating expenses kept in check, rising a uh, marginal 1.2% there. But uh, uh, I guess the big number we're looking at there is, the, is that net profit, which increased by 3.5% to just under 3 billion rand. Uh, so remember, Transnet effectively operates monopoly. monopoly. Oh, yes. So remember, a lot of their revenue was literally just based on increasing their tariffs. Mm. That they they charge and well, they operate yeah. a monopoly. They mm. operate a monopoly. They the only game in town, effectively. Uh, they only game in town, effectively. Um, so it, it, it the results you would, you would always expect the results to to increase year on year on uh, year in year out. Um, big number that we're all focusing on is the debt number. And as you know, because it's an SOE, unfortunately, their fortunes are tied to that of the state. Mm, mm. So mm. you have to sort of, um, as you know, when you take out debt in the bond market and your underlying rating is underpinned by the rating for the state, you've got to warn people of possible downgrades because that increases your funding costs. Yeah, but it seems to me here, Snesipo, that uh, there continues to be an appetite for Transnet bonds. Uh, I mean, they came out and said they managed to raise about $900 million in the space of a month, and I don't know how much that is in the bigger scheme of things, but, uh, I mean, it must indicate that there continues to be some appetite uh, from uh, those in the capital markets for uh, uh, Transnet debt. Of course, because think about it. You're, it's, a, it's a monopoly. 
underpinned by state support, mm. they're actually generating profit. They relatively are safe investments. It's the, 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 they're able to raise funding without government guarantee, but they're underpinned by state support because of the sure. fact that they operate the monopoly. Mm. Mm. So it's easy. But it's an easy sell. It's an easy sell. This is the reason why, even though most people don't get the business, even though ESCOM is in a bit of trouble, there's always an appetite because the underpinning of state support. Mm. So that's ultimately, about, yeah. I mean, I want us to also talk about something else here, which uh, I guess on the on the freight side of things might influence whether or not they're able to uh, carry the increase in freight volumes uh, that they've contracted to. If you think about the manganese line and uh, potentially uh, some zinc uh, transportation, if uh, some of those projects kick off in the Northern Cape, and that is uh, the uh, deals that uh, they. Uh, went into with the likes of China North Rail and uh, Canada's Bombardier, which have also been the subject of a lot of uh, discussion in the Zondo Commission of Inquiry. It seems now that only a fifth of those that were supposed to be delivered by Bombardier and China North Rail over the past five years have been delivered. And that has also led to a, a 1.3 billion rand cost of relocating uh, some manufacturing activity from Kudusport, uh, just outside Pretoria, to uh, Durban here in order, I guess, to, to pick up some of the slack here after these service providers have really, I guess, delivered probably 20% of what they should have delivered. Okay, that's, part, that's a procurement issue. That is a procurement issue uh, that, uh, that's across the state capture. The, the, the main thing, the reason why these entities like your Transnet and your ESCOM have been, been so um, juicy for the state capture is because of the fact that they generate cash and operate in virtual monopolies. The virtual monopolies of it and also the procurement, the fact that the procurement decisions are in a handful of people. A handful of people. For me, the fact that there was lack of delivery and that the cost of relocation it's not acceptable. The fact that people are not prosecuted for it isn't or there to like it's own gold, repeatedly own gold. Hmm. Certainly a tough one there. Um and uh, one certainly hopes that uh, you know an entity like this uh, on whose uh, port and rail infrastructure much of the economic activity in this country relies, uh, will be able to um, move beyond uh, the sad chapter here of uh, state capture and uh, it being used as a cookie jar or cookie tin uh, for many of those involved in that project of state capture. Before I let you go, Snesipo, uh, let's take a look now at Aspen Pharmacare, uh, largest drug company here on the continent. They've agreed to sell their Japanese business to a division of Novartis, uh, to Sandoz, uh, for... 400 million euro. Um, yeah, so just remember this, this, this transaction was, was, was so the details of the transaction were announced earlier in the earlier set of interim drafts because yes, they had yeah. to say that they were going to be disposing of their non-core assets, mainly to get rid of their debt burden. Because a lot of, if you look at where Aspen's share price has been over the past couple of years, a lot of it has been, I think we talked about it a couple of months ago, which is that they haven't been growing as fast as they get burden, and the market is saying, keep it check now. It's time to pay down your debt. Mm, mm. So, so they had to remember they sell the baby food company as well. Yes, 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 yes. How much of, I guess, the, you know, the environment Aspen finds itself there, Stephen Sardin and his team, has to do with uh, those escapades we often talk about into Europe and into the United Kingdom? do with it. People get bold. They're like, oh my God, SA is not growing. Let's ask go overseas and then, ish, fire flame. <laughs> we'll have to leave it there, man. Always a pleasure <laughs> catching up with you. All right.
Thanks, Aya. Cool, cool. That there was Snezi Pomanintra. Uh, she's an independent market commentator and analyst uh, joining us this evening uh, to wrap up some of our top business stories.